But tonight's question came about because of an article that was written, uh, that was written by one of the uh, brothers in, in the Brotherhood, a very well-known person, a person that uh, I think a lot of, and a very educated person. Uh, but the name of the article was, What About Those Who Never Hear the Gospel, is the title of the particular article. And, and he does a, a very a good job in this article talking about uh, different things that need to be talked about. But the question was asked about one paragraph in this particular article. And I'll just read the paragraph to you. And it goes like this. It says, Third, observe that all those who will not accept the truth, even if presented to them, need not be confronted with that truth since God knows they would reject it. So the question, what about those who never hear the gospel, suggests that there are innocent, honest people who would accept the truth if they heard it, but never get a chance to hear it. No such people exist. All those who will accept God's truth will be given an opportunity to accept, accept it via providence and their own honest searching. And he has listed here Matthew 7, 7 through 8, which Frankie had in our song a little bit ago, asking it shall be given unto you, seek and ye shall find, a knock and the door will be opened unto you. And then it goes on and says, all those who never hear the gospel would not accept it anyway. And the person that gave me this particular article and asked me about it, asked me if I didn't sound a little bit like um, predetermination or Calvinism, and the fact that God has already, already decided that there are those who will hear the gospel, and he's going to make sure that they hear the gospel, and um, there are those that are already going to reject the gospel, so there's no point in them hearing the gospel because they're going to reject it anyway. And that falls right in line with the idea that God has elected certain people to be saved and has elected certain people to be lost. Um, there's something, a part of Calvinism known as illumination, where it's believed that if God has chosen you to be one of the saved, he's going to illuminate you in such a way that you'll come to an understanding of the truth and be saved. If you're not one of God's chosen uh, elect, then there's no point in him sending this illumination upon you because you never would accept it anyway. Well, we'll get into some of the discussion about where I agree or disagree with uh, this good brother. Uh, but first of all, let me just say about his particular problem with the very first thing he says. And that is that um, he says, Observe that all who will not accept the truth, even if presented to them, need not be confronted with that truth, since God knows they will reject it. Well, I know a lot of people where the truth has been presented to them and they rejected it. Uh, the gospel has fallen on many years that have rejected it, so I don't believe that God uh, sets up a situation where a person will never hear the gospel that, it, uh, that rejects it. So I don't know that he even meant to write it that particular way. But that's the understanding that I came up with looking at that. But what I want us to do before we actually get deeper into the question, I want us to think about the situation that he has brought up, a situation that all of us maybe have thought about from time to time, and a situation that he's doing his best to try to explain. There are over 6 billion people on this planet right now. 6 billion people. And I want you to think about the fact that of those 6 billion people, there are very few of them right now that's going to go to heaven. Very few of them perhaps ever hear the gospel. Very few of them will ever have the opportunity to obey the gospel. 6 billion people. So put that in your mind just for a few moments. 
And then I want you to think about other circumstances, things I've thought about before. When you look back at the history of this world and look back at the history of the United States, you realize that before Christopher Columbus discovered what he thought was America and before people from England, from France, and from other, Spain and from other places came to this country and brought Christianity to this country, there was century after century after century of what we might call Native Americans who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened to them? They lost? Well, the Bible's very clear. Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh through the Father except by me. So you start thinking about those six billion people. You start thinking about, as I have those Native Americans that lived here before religion came here, when you start thinking about perhaps those tribes in the Amazon or some other place that never have any contact with the outside world, um, is it fair that they're going to go to hell? Is it fair that nobody's ever talked to them about the gospel? Well, the question is really not about fairness. The Bible nowhere says anything about God being fair. Uh, we think of fairness of, of, of how that everybody's always treated exactly the same, and the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God is no respecter of persons. He all treats people equally, but as far as fairness, how that some people have certain things happen to them and some people don't, that happens all the time. There are people here who have greater blessings than others do. There are people here who have had greater calamities happen to them than other people do. God is nowhere described in the Bible as being fair. Now here's where you need to listen carefully. The Bible is, does describe God as being just. As being just. In other words, fairness is not the issue. The issue is justice. And justice is always doing what is right and equal. And God looks at mankind. He treats them justly and equal. And um, God's justice responds to sin in the exact same way with everybody. Regardless of who you are, God treats you as someone who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and someone that is going to spend eternity in hell because of that sin. There's no difference in that. God looks at all of mankind that way. All mankind is sinners. No sinner gets a particular advantage over another sinner. Instead, all of us are sinners. Those who say God should not condemn to hell people who have never heard the gospel are asserting that God is unkind and unjust that he's given someone else a particular advantage over someone else. That is not the way God works, and as we're going to discover in a little bit, that's not the way the gospel works. All people are sinners, and God treats all men equally. Now, here's the first thing I want you to consider tonight. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. To Romans chapter 9, and we're going to read a, a section of Scripture that very few people think about, but it's a very important Scripture, especially when it comes to God and His justice and our relationship with Him. In other words, the world's relationship with Him. So Romans chapter 9, I'm going to begin at verse 14. Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For He saith to Moses, 
I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will harden it. Thou wilt say, uh, say then unto me, Why doeth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that thou repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to the him, that is for, him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the, pow, the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? That might be a little bit hard to understand in the King James, but um, what Paul is saying here is God is God. God is the one who created us, and God can do whatever he wants with us. It's not an issue of fairness. It's not an issue of what I want. It's not an issue of what somebody else wants. It boils down to the fact that God, because he is God, can fairly and justly forgive no one. In other words, what I'm saying to you tonight, God doesn't have to forgive me. God doesn't have to forgive you. In fact, God does not have to forgive anyone. But instead, the fact that he sent his son comes from pure, absolute grace. We don't deserve his forgiveness. No one deserves his forgiveness. No one can say it's not fair that I'm not getting forgiven. Well, as Paul says in verse 20, Nay, but, old man, who are thou that replies against God? Shall the thing that was, and to put it in the proper form, shall the thing that was created say to him that created it, Why have you put me in this situation? In other words, God doesn't have to forgive a single person on the face of the earth. The fact that he has provided a plan of salvation comes totally from grace. It's, it is not fair anyone else can be saved at all. If you want to talk about fairness, why is it fair that I'm being saved? Why is it fair anyone's being saved? And I mean that in the extent of God being who He is and we being who we are. Why in the world would God save any of us? But you got to understand here at the beginning that what, God, what Paul is saying here is Man is God's creation, and thus God can do justly anything He wants to do with man. God is just just in condemning men to hell because of all have sinned. Justice does not require the possibility from escape from punishment. The justice of God condemns all because all are guilty, just as the Old Testament law reveals. In other words, God's justice is such that all of us deserve to die and spend eternity in hell. It's just by God's grace there's even an opportunity for us to be excluded from that particular judgment. But the thing I want to make sure we understand before we leave this passage is this. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25 says, The judge of all the earth will do right. In other words, however you look at this particular question, you need to understand that God is always going to do what's right. There's nobody that's going to be in heaven that's not supposed to be there. And there's nobody that's not supposed to be in heaven that's not there. Or I don't know if I said that right or not. 
But my point is, God's going to do what's right. God's going to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. He is a just God. But now I want you to think about something else that we sometimes forget when, when it comes to His purpose in sending His Son to this earth. Turn over to a very familiar passage over in John chapter 3. The first passage we're going to look at, you probably know by the, like the back of your hand because you've heard it so many times. You see it at football games, people holding up posters. You see it at other things. Even someone who is probably not even a Christian can quote this particular verse. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Usually when we read that verse, we stop right there and don't read anymore. But read what happens next in here. And this is stating the very same thing that I've stated a few seconds ago, only this time either John or Jesus Christ is saying it. We're not sure who is speaking here. For God, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now what is Jesus or John saying there? They're saying God sent his only begotten Son to this earth to give people the opportunity to be saved. But he didn't send them, he didn't send him to this world, and then people not responding to that gospel causes them to be lost. What he's saying is the world was already lost. The opportunity is to be saved. The opportunity to be saved in rejecting it is not what causes us to be lost. What causes us to be lost is that we already were lost. And that's the point that Jesus or John is making here. Well, you start thinking about that and you start thinking about, well, that just, that's just kind of hard to swallow. Once again, this idea of, of fairness comes into view. Well, is God really being unfair? when it comes to the opportunities that we may have to know Him and to respond to Him. Let's look at a couple passages real quick. The first one, we'll go back to the Old Testament, to Psalm 19. If you will, turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. Now, I'm not going to read the entire psalm, but I want you to just look at the first couple verses here. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun, which is the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of the earth, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now we could read some more verses here, and, and it brings out some of the same things, but the point that's being made here is every time the sun comes up, every time the sun goes down, every time the stars appear, every time with, with each passing day, with each passing season, with each passing year, it is declaring to the entire world that there is a God. And He is the one that's in control of our lives. Well, there's other passages that teach the same thing. You move to the New Testament, you move back to the book of Romans we were in a few moments ago. 
Now I want want you to notice what Paul says in the first three chapters of this particular book. Don't have time to read all of it, but I just want to pull some verses out and let you consider them for a few moments. Beginning at verse 16, Romans chapter 1, Paul proclaims the most wonderful thing. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay? He says, For therein, talking about the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, or from generation of faith to generation of faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, he is saying that from the beginning of time, salvation is based upon our faith in God. In the Christian age, it is the power of the gospel. During the Old Testament age, it was the looking forward to the Messiah and how salvation would come through the Messiah. For the Gentiles, we don't know, but the point that's being made is that in every generation, the key premise to it all is the just shall live by faith. Well, he brings that up because of what he's going to say next. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now keep in mind what he said here. He says that God being a God that will punish you has been revealed from heaven unto all ungodliness and righteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, listen closely to this, so that they are without excuse. He goes on and says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of their uncorruptible God into the image made like to corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies and between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve of the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever amen verse 28 says and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind and to do those things which are not convenient Chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, what all is Paul saying here? He's saying that there's not a person here on this earth that can make an excuse, I did not know about God. There's not an accountable, cognitive person here on the face of this earth who can say, I don't know about God. Paul's two points in this. Point number one, God is clearly seen in creation. God is all around us. You may not know the the true revelation of God by looking at the things about us, but God is here. You know God put these things here on this earth. In order to not believe that, you have to go somewhere else to find that information, and you have to turn the truth into a lie. The second point that he makes in verse 15 of chapter 2 is that our conscience tells us 
that there's things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Where do they come from? Well, the only possible answer to that is they come from an absolute being such as God. And so the point that Paul uh, is making here is that people should know from creation that there is a God. People should know from conscience that there is a God. And so there's no such thing as an innocent Native American who lived before religion got here. There's no such thing as an innocent tribe living in the Amazon that's cut off from the outside world. In fact, our condemnation is not based on whether or not we have rejected the gospel. Our condemnation is based on the fact that we have rejected God and we are condemned already. And so it's no wonder in the next couple chapters Paul points out the fact in verse 10 of chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 of the same chapter, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In chapter 6 and verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Think about that one verse just for a moment. For the wages of sin, in other words, getting paid for what we deserve, is death. And that applies to every single person who's ever lived on the face of the earth, regardless of where they live and, and what opportunities they've had. But the gift... Something that God gives us as a gift his, through His grace is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, you start looking at these passages and you realize, as I've already stated, that every cognitive, rational human being has been, has been made available to Him. The witness of God's existence, power, and divinity. In fact, the Apostle Paul Preaching in Acts chapter 14 and verse 17, he says, He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, uh, seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. In other words, all the blessings we get to have on this earth come from God. And if we are honest with ourselves and don't cloud and darken our hearts, we'll realize that very same thing. But the Bible also tells us in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2, he says, My ear is not so dull of hearing that I can't hear you, nor is my hand so short that I cannot save you, but your sins and iniquities have separated you from me. In other words, because of how we treated God and how we rebelled against them, regardless of who we are, we have condemned ourselves. And we, because of God's justice, deserve to die. God cannot overlook sin. Sin must be punished. And it will be punished. If it's not, then God is not God. And He is just a creature. But we know when we move into the New Testament, as I've already said, that Jesus tells us in John 14 and verse 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except my me. The only way a person is going to be saved today is through Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul reminds us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that God is going to have His angels return one day in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them, that know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen to those people that don't do that. Uh, many years ago, when I was working at a bank... I had an immediate supervisor that was over me, and 
as oftentimes would be the case, we would have religious discussions because that's something I enjoy talking about. And he believed in a form of universalism and um, that you know, everybody was going to be saved. And I would work on him for just a little bit and point out different passages. And then he finally admitted, well, um, people who have not uh, obeyed the gospel are going to be lost. And I said, that's true. And then he said, well, those people who've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel, though, will be saved because that's just not right. That's not fair. And so I asked this guy, I said, Charles, the church where you attend, do you all ever send missionaries out? And he said, yes. And I said, those missionaries, when they come in contact with people and they teach uh, the Bible to those people, do every single, does every single person respond? And he says, no, there's some who turn it down and don't become Christians. And I said, do you realize what a disservice your church has done? You have sent somebody that was totally saved because they were ignorant of the gospel. You told them what the gospel is, and now that they've rejected it, they are lost. And he, of course, had to think about that for a little while. And we really didn't have a very whole lot more discussions after that. My point is this, that there's only one way to be saved. Everybody is lost, and the only one way to be saved has been given to us by God's grace and His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I've said a lot there, and I hope I hadn't confused anybody. Well, let's get back to this idea that was in this article and, and see where I believe he was coming from, and maybe he didn't quite state it exactly right. But I do believe that the Bible teaches that perhaps there are some opportunities for those who really want to be saved. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29, you go all the way back to the old law. In the book of Deuteronomy it says, But if you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. And if you look over at Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, when he was preaching to those people who believed in many gods there in Athens. In fact, there were so many gods uh, that they had statues up for everybody, and they were afraid they were going to miss one of these gods, so they put up a statue to the unknown god. And that gave Paul the catalyst, if you will, to proclaim about the true God. Notice what he says after making a point about the unknown God, beginning at verse 24 of Acts 17. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Now listen to what he says here. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have, poets have said, for we are also his offspring. But notice what he's telling these people in the text. He's basically telling them some of the things he said in the book of Romans. He begins by pointing out the fact that everything that you have, everything that was made, Everything that you can tell by looking at the world has been presented to you to show you that there is a God. 
Now, why did God do that? Well, he tells us in the next verse, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may, might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. In other words, the Apostle Paul, I believe, is telling us, and these other passages that I read for you a few moments ago, is telling us that if a person truly desires to know God, that somehow or another, God is going to make himself known. That may be through providence, it may be through a missionary, it may be through a Bible, it may be through a tract, etc. We could go on and on and on. But the bottom line is, and this is where I disagree with this good brother, the bottom line is not left up to God. The bottom line is left up to the one who has the responsibility to seek. The bottom line is someone has to look at this world and realize there is a God and you need to be seeking after him. You need to find out what he wants you to do. Creation tells us that. Our conscience tells us that. It's only when we reject that and quit seeking that we start running on problems. People have to act on what has already been revealed to them. And so I believe that's what he was trying to say. It does kind of smack of Calvinism when you read it and give it face value that God has picked some to hear the gospel and God has not picked some to hear the gospel. That puts all the emphasis upon God. But the Bible doesn't put the emphasis upon God when it comes to salvation. The emphasis is put on the individual. I don't know if it's fair or not that there were some Native Americans on this world, in this world that maybe never heard the gospel. But I do know this, that God is always going to do what's right. and He's going to make sure that the people who need to be saved are going to be saved and the people that are going to be lost are going to be lost. I also know this, that no man can ever claim, as Paul says, they are without excuse, that no man can ever claim, I did not know there was a God. Because the Bible very clearly says we can know God by creation and by conscience. The onus is not on God to provide salvation as far as exposing us to it. The onus, as these passages just pointed out, is that we are the ones that are responsible to seek. We are the ones that need to act. It's been revealed. They need to take that revelation and take it to the extent where they find salvation. They are members in this particular congregation that are members here because, as I tell other people when I talk about this church, the reason why they're here is because they are truth seekers. They wanted to discover what the truth was. They were not content on what someone else told them. They were not content just on opinion. They wanted to find out what God's will for their lives were by studying God's word. And that's the same thing that's put on every single person on this earth. First, all God is just in condemning this world because we're all sinners. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. Nobody uh, deserves to say, well, I didn't know. God, if he never gave us Jesus Christ, he would be just in what he was doing because we all deserve to be lost. But thanks be to God, he did give us a son. And because of that son, we now have a way of salvation even though we don't deserve it, even though it's not fair as far as, as the, someone might look at fairness. Well, two conclusions I want to leave with you this evening as we close this particular time. First of all, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the fact, and this is the first conclusion, we should be so very thankful that circumstances in our life were such either because of family, either because of friends, 
either because of some other influence in our life, that we had the opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. That we had the kind of heart that said, I want to know more about this. I want to find out what God wants me to do, and I want to obey what he wants me to do. We should be thankful every day uh, that we either had family members or friends or somebody that cared enough about our soul that they exposed us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second thing I want us to think about, the second conclusion I think we need to deal with this evening is, who knows if you're the very instrument by which someone becomes a Christian, that maybe you're a part of God's plan through his providence to run into that person who is seeking, to run into that person who realizes that there is a God and I want to find out what his his will is for me, uh, and they're just simply waiting on you. They're just simply waiting on you to say, listen, I found what you're looking for. Uh, Some of you remember Tony Reese. I know my kids do because uh, they remember when I preached in Knoxville and he was the prison minister there. Uh, He later moved to this area and became the preacher over in Salisbury and was the head chaplain over at uh, Carolina Medical Center. But Tony Reese was a drug addict. He was one who was in prison for selling drugs. His life had hit the very lowest point in his life. And he realized he needed something more, and so he knew he needed God. And he opened up his Bible, and he started studying God's Word. And as he studied God's Word, he started going to the different devotionals and different Bible studies that they had there in the prison, taught by different denominations and whatnot. And he would listen to them, and he would say, that's not what's in my Bible. I don't want anything to do with that. But one day a guard made contact with Tony, and he said, Tony, I've heard some things about you, and I've heard about what you're searching for. And I think I've got the answer. And he sat down with Tony and he just told him the old Jerusalem gospel, the undenominational New Testament Christianity. And Tony became a Christian. He was paroled, went to the school of preaching, became a preacher, became very involved in the prison ministry, and later on in life came very involved with donor uh, recipients and that type of thing. But that never would have happened if, first of all, Tony was not a seeker. And secondly, there was not someone to help him on his journey. Something to think about this evening as we stand and sing the invitation song.